Hey there, boss. This is Jeff Mendelson, host of the One Big Tip podcast. And I am so excited to announce my new Agents of Pod coaching program, where I teach you how to fast track your lead gen by having more conversations with your targeted clients, even if you have no list, audience, or paid ads. Head on over to agentsofpod.com slash hero, and let me show you how to be the superhero in your own business. I am also actively seeking guests for this podcast. If you know someone who is currently six figures or more in their business and they have an actionable, tangible, and measurable tip to share, please let them know about it. Just go to onebigtip.com slash guest for information on how to be a guest. I can't wait to hear from you. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. My name is Jeff Mendelson, and this is the One Big Tip Podcast. And today, I am really pleased to have with me on the line Christopher Nahibi. Christopher is a banker, an attorney, a real estate broker, and a licensed general contractor. As the CEO of Black Crown Realty and Investment, he's also an author and a public speaker and provides pro bono legal work for families in need and partners with Habitat for Humanity to create unique loan programs for deserving families in various Western states. So man of many accomplishments, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate the intro. I'm just a regular guy trying to do as much as I can, man. Amazing stuff. So I want to hear this background story, right? Because I know a lot of real estate brokers. I know a few attorneys, right? General contract. So And I know that there is a great case to be said for consolidating all of those different activities because they are complementary to, you know, what it is that you're doing, buying and selling real estate, you know, getting people loans, getting, making sure that their titles are correct, all of that. I would like to know a little bit of your backstory on how you got to where you are today. You know, I'd love to tell you that it was a logical, thoughtful process that was laid out long in advance. Uh, Sadly, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I have always wanted to know how the wealthiest people around us got wealthy. I've always wanted to know how how successful people maintain their level of success. And in order to do that, I chose career paths, which I thought would give me the best insight. Uh, I started off underwriting um, commercial multifamily real estate after years and years of being in the single family side of the business and graduated from underwriting to management and then management into becoming the chief credit officer of the bank. And the entire time I had done that, I, I was really interested in, in, in law and I had a law degree. And I thought, you know what? I want to take the bar. I'm going to pass it. And I did. And every step of the way, it was just really a pursuit of more knowledge. So as much as these things are complementary, because I was doing them and working in all these spaces at the same time, it essentially evolves with a thirst for wanting to understand and appreciate how I could personally build my wealth and how those around me could benefit from the things that I was seeing. And over time, that structure that, that you outlined in the beginning is is kind of where I wound up. I, I do a little bit of everything now, and I really, really enjoy the pureness of, of real estate, the pureness of the journey of wealth. People tend to think that, oh, that person's wealthy or you know that person's wealthy. And it's really not that way. You don't go, oh my God, I'm wealthy. I'm going to stop. It's a journey. It's it's a learning lesson over time and you never stop. You know, what's interesting about that is, uh, is that when you're talking about it, it, it sounds almost natural for us, right? Where we're just like, well, you know, we, uh, we got started with, uh, you know, with law and then we moved on to this and we moved on to that. A lot of people really will think about, you know, really compartmentalizing themselves. 
right? Where they'll just think like, yeah, okay, well, I'm going to law school. So that means I am going to be a lawyer. Well, why the hell are you pigeonholing yourself into just one thing, right? It's like, first of all, why would you do that to yourself? And why would you do that for your family, right? Especially if you have more talents that you're able to bring out into the world, right? Yeah. You know, and it, it boggles my mind the way that we, we do that to ourselves, especially with at the law field. You know, so many attorneys are unhappy. The, the burnout rate is so high. Real estate, the same thing. Real estate agents, I think 83 something percent, maybe a little more, a little less burnout in the first couple of years, two, three years. And, and it's like, well, you have this knowledge about real estate. You have this knowledge about law that you can layer into so many different professions. And yet we don't do that. And it, it leaves me perplexed that, that we as a society want to label ourselves something and move on. And I've never been wrapped up in ego personally. I, I don't really care whether you consider me a real estate agent or you consider me an attorney or you consider me a banker. Uh, those things are all things that I, I definitely like to do and, and have a, a huge amount of passion and joy in doing. But it's all about learning. It's all about growing. And along those those paths of learning, I found little avenues to make me a little bit more successful and give me a little bit more, you know, income over the years. And shocking as it may be, they've kind of coalesced into one big business. That's perfect. But I would have never outlined that plan for myself. It was just because I didn't limit myself the same way you just, you just identified. Making your unlimiting yourself, I think is such a key word here right? Mm-hmm. Because there are so many things that you could be doing with your life. There are so many things that you could be doing with, uh, you know, with taking that next step, however uncomfortable it may be, right? Into making a complementary line of business for yourself. And this, you know, the most basic way to think about this is, let's say, for example, you're you're working in corporate and you have this side hustle going on. You know, you're working the other nine to five, right? The 9 p.m. after you put the kids to bed and watch TV with the wife, uh, you know, until three, four in the morning, right? That's the other nine to five, right? And I've, I've done many nights doing that. What's cool about it though, is once you level up, once you're able to bring, you know, that extra, you know, that extra experience to the table, it pretty much makes you unstoppable, right? Because it gives you a multiple streams of income. It really allows you to really, you know, get up and, you know, and do something and you're able to serve so many other people to the highest level when you do that, right? Love talking to you. If, if we were on the, the movie Step Brothers, we just became best friends right now. Yeah. For, for many, many, many reasons, uh, you know, I share the same mindset. I read somewhere a long time ago and I really should have made a better note of the, of the study, but it came out of somewhere, I think it was Oxford, that if you start a side hustle as a business, you have a 33% greater likelihood of success starting that business. And most businesses fail. So to think that you can have a one third better percentage probability of success by starting something on the side, that, that's an amazing you know leg up. And frankly, all these businesses that, that we talked about for me started that way. You know, I, I always had something that I was, I was doing and then there was the interest in that. You know, I always thought, you know, working in real estate that I was going to wind up becoming an attorney and being done with it. But that side passion, that side thing I was doing became my permanent job. And I thought I was going to be in banking for a couple of years during the height of the Great Recession. And that became my permanent, you know, thing. And I just never stopped looking for those side hustles and the multiple streams of income. I'll tell you a funny story and I'll make it real quick. A book by Robert G. Allen, which came out a long, long time ago. I'm afraid to date myself and how old it is. But suffice it to say, he sold Mary Kay as one of his multiple streams of income. And I knew what that was. My mom sold Mary Kay. I, I could appreciate exactly what he was doing on the side. And I thought to myself, well, if you're a multimillionaire and you're selling, you know, Mary Kay, this is not about your ego. This is just about you running down things to try to make money and feeling things out. Now, Robert G. Allen may have had some financial trouble later on in life, but it set the tone for a lot of my life and a lot of my own personal, you know, strategies. It comes to who I am. I believe we should never get off the wheel. 
those who want to get out of the rat race and get off the pace, you know, more power to you. I'm just not built that way. And, and I want to work. I want to be out there doing exactly what you did, which helped get you and I here today. You find something you're passionate about, you chase it in the other nine to five and, and you work hard at it. And it might be hard in the beginning. It might be a painful thing to do, but that passion gives you the discipline to continue doing it. You know, part of the basis that we were able to do this, right, is to have one solid base of income coming in, right? That becomes the foundation. That's how you pay for your mortgage. That's how you make the car payment. That's how you buy groceries, right? Once you have that, you know, stable, you know, and even if it's a corporate paycheck, you know, it hits your bank every two weeks. I don't knock it. It's a beautiful thing, right? But but then what happens is that you have a you have a foundation that you are able to branch out. And it's literally like a tree that grows and has branches and goes out. You know, not every one of those branches is going to be productive. Some you may even lose on, some may just wither off and die. But what happens is that as you're doing that, you're able to really increase the overall amount of wealth and prosperity that you're able to bring for your family. And I think you know, that's like one of the crazy things. And even if you're doing this, you know, from a side hustle, right? I know God knows I did it for a long time. I was working my butt off just trying to, you know, at first it start, you know, the, my whole digital marketing agency started off as, well, now I have, you know, now I can take my wife out to a nice dinner and, uh, you know, and it, and it grew from there. And then you're like, okay, great. You know, now that I have this thing solid, let's move on to the next thing. Yeah. And once you start applying that formula, you're able to really get a handle on it. And, you know, I've talked on the show with other productivity experts and there are many other facets to this, but what I want to focus on here is your one big tip. So you're out there working with the public. You need them. You actually help them to buy and sell real estate and to make sure that the transaction is safe and efficient and as profitable as possible for all parties involved. Let's talk a little bit about your one big tip, which is about buying investment real estate as being the clearest path towards passive income, right? And this, you know, when doing this action really is really a lot better than you throwing 10% into your 401k or your, your Roth IRA. Like how do you start that conversation with somebody and how does it manifest itself in your business when you're getting people to buy investment real estate properties as opposed to primary primary residences and things like that? Well, you know, I'll tell you that there's a, a huge varying degree of backgrounds when it comes to investments. And each one of those backgrounds is unique in their philosophy, their risk profile, and the things that they, you know, they feel they can handle with their appetite. What I tell people is, is that, look, I, I can tell you that I love real estate and that that doesn't necessarily have to sway you. The other thing I can tell you is as somebody who's seen billions of dollars of transactions and the wealthy profiles uh, of some of the wealthiest in the country, I've seen their balance sheet, their income statement. I've seen what their organizational structures look like in the common theme that runs through so many of these people, not all of them, but the overwhelming majority is their ownership in real estate over time. There's a lot of information and disinformation out there. And some of the easy things you can knock out right out the gate is that people will say, Hey, I don't like real estate because I, I don't want to have to manage you know, somebody else in my property. And I don't want to have to change you know, toilets and clean stuff. You can hire a property management fee. And it varies by region. And you know, for multifamily properties in California, three to 5%. If you're talking about a single family residence in the Midwest, maybe 10%. But it doesn't matter what small portion of your of your income you're giving away for management what matters is is you're building and positioning your portfolio over time there there's this feeling like you can walk into retirement overnight. And, and those of us who've been in, in business for you know, 20, 30 years, you, you know nothing happens overnight. And even if it did, you probably wouldn't be prepared to handle it. So what I tell most people is buying a home for yourself is wonderful. It is the American dream and frankly, the dream across the world now. But 
the next level up is planning your investments to give you passive income. And the best way that I have personally found and I've seen routinely over and over again to do that is to start buying investment properties. You don't have to take a big leap. Find a home that cash flows. You can rent it out and pay for your mortgage, pay for your principal interest, taxes, and insurance, and put a little cash in your pocket. And even if it's a couple hundred bucks, what you do is you're building that that cash flow over time. You're putting it on your tax return the next year. You now have that much more cash flow. You can write down the interest. You can write down depreciation on the property. There's tax benefits there. That one simple step, that one flavor of investment real estate will show you every single thing you need to know to really appreciate how massive this is as an opportunity. And I think that when most people do it once, they're hooked. They get it. They get it right away. And the stigma of the fear that stops most people from doing it disappears overnight. So I want to talk to you a little bit about risk with that, right? So I think everyone gets the point that, uh, you know, that real estate these days, if you, you know, first of all, there's the saying, you, you don't make money when you sell, you make money when you buy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the principal part of this whole transaction, right? You need to make sure that you're buying right so that you can make money, so that you can actually make money when you, uh, you know, when it's time to get rid of the place. What I'm really curious about though is how you, help people ascertain the risk that's involved. Because let's face it, you're going to buy a place in Southern California. There are no more single family homes for $500,000, right? No. Even with a 20, 30% down payment, you know, you're still going to have a very high, uh, you know, a very high mortgage. My question is if they go three, four, six months without having that income come in, whatever profits they may have thought that they realized, mm-hmm. you know, all of that goes out the window, you know, and if you don't have the the cash reserves to keep that up, uh, like, how do you explain that to people in order to really mitigate that and to help them through that process so that they're not risking the entire business in all one shot? Valid question. And it's one that I get a lot. So I'm going to give a lot of information really quickly. And there's going to be a lot of nuance here. Feel free to unpack it to the extent that you want to, either on the internet searches that you do later on, or frankly, by hitting me up. But what I tell people is, then don't go big. You don't have to buy in Southern California. You don't have to be physically close to your real estate. There's a lot of old school investors that believe you have to be within 45 minutes. I don't do that. I didn't start there personally. My first investment real estate was actually in the Midwest, in Oklahoma. And I live in Southern California. The the barrier to entry was so, so much lower. And, and knowing that my 20% or 25% down, whatever I put down back then, you know, for at the time was, I want to say $120,000 property was significantly less than that same relative property would have been in California. I also took the time to understand the market. I physically went out there. I had people in the area. I interviewed property managers. I really took the time to appreciate the market. Now, a lot of my clients who come to me, they don't want to do that. They don't want to source the, the property manager. They don't want to get to know the area, the market demand. You know, is there a rental area that, you know, that that's really, really high or hot there? I always say that relationships are the truest form of currency. You have to have those relationships. But if you don't want to, you can find someone like me who can set it up for you and whose sole purpose is to put you into good deals and get you cash flow. Now, the Midwest is lovely. They don't typically build up. They build out. They expand. So apartment complexes that are big and massive, those typically thrive in major metropolitan areas where density is there. In the Midwest, in suburbs like Oklahoma City or suburbs of Dallas, you typically see people rent homes as opposed to renting apartment buildings. And the, and the actual rent, the, the dollar rent, isn't that big. There isn't a massive delta there. It does vary pretty dramatically by market that you're in across the United States. So you have to get a comfort level with the market you're in. You have to get a comfort level with the 
real estate agent out there, if you're not licensed, you have to get a comfort level with a property manager out there. And that takes you physically going there and getting to know the market. And that also gives you that tangible feeling, that connection to an area as an investor where you will feel better about this. I think a lot of people think that whenever you buy an investment property, that you're a slumlord or you're a bad. All my properties are beautiful. They're almost all built after 2000 in, in for the single family homes anyway. And they're all aesthetically very well taken care of. And to the extent that anything is there you know, that, that we don't know about, we've done everything we can to inspect them. These are beautiful properties and the tenants are very well taken care of. The stigma to a lot of these activities comes from this, you know, greed is bad and, and landlords are evil. And it's not that way. Okay. You setting up a passive income for your future is not a bad thing. That doesn't make you a bad person. And you can still take this risk on in a calculated way. What I tell most people, set up a small reserve account and don't buy a property until you have a little bit of money to reserve. So on a property where your cash flow is typically, let's say your your gross, your rent is $2,000 a month. I personally, and a lot, a lot of real estate investors are, are a little bit more risk you know, willing than I am. I'm a little risk adverse. I go twice, twice that in rent. So I'll take $4,000 and I'll keep that in that account. And I won't take a penny from that account they're depositing into until I hit that $4,000 mark, that two months of rent. And then if something goes wrong, I've got two months to try to find another tenant and to get the thing back up to market and rent it again. And all these years, I've had maybe one or two instances where there was actual costs that exceeded that. And as you start to acquire more properties, you can dip into some of the other properties, reserve funds if you really need to, or if you have cash on hand, you can do it. But $2,000 know, as, as a rental payment is, is a high number. You can also get lower numbers too. You can have different properties in different areas. It really comes from educating yourself on the market and taking on as much risk as you feel comfortable taking. You know, I'm reminded of the quote from, um, I think it was from Boiler Room, where Ben Affleck, he gets uh he gets up in front of all the boys and he's just like listen guys anyone who says that money isn't everything doesn't have any look at my smile you know just ear to ear mm-hmm. right and you know it's really true you're like so first of all this is the kind of thing you know i think here in the united states we kind of have this stigma we don't really talk about money that much unless yeah. we're talking to our financial advisor unless we're talking to our banker and those are frankly the people we should be talking to right mm-hmm. yeah of course you know about it but at the same time you know there is a lot of misinformation out there there are a lot of uh you know there are a lot of gurus out there some more famous than others that will sort of scare you off on the, you know, on the whole prospect and it becomes kind of hard to digest. Right. And it, 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 it becomes a question of, okay, who do I follow? Do I follow Chris? Do I follow Grant? Do I follow Russell? You know, like, do I follow, you know, it's like, who do I follow here? And it's the bane of my existence. It really is because I see that stuff. And as a professional, it makes me cringe. It really does. Amazing. Yeah. I I can definitely see where that's, you know, where that would be a problem for you. But I also feel that that is also an opportunity, right? For you to get on podcasts, for you to, Mm -hmm. you know, to make videos, for you to go out and do public speaking. And really what happens is that you really do have this, uh, this platform where you can go out and educate people. And at the end of the day, people do business with people that they know, like, and trust, right? They're not going to do it because of some big name. They're not going to do it all because Oprah uh, <laughs> recommended them. You know, they're going to do it because, uh, you know, hey, I saw this guy, Chris, and he seems like uh, he seems like he knows what he's doing. I checked out his portfolio. You know something? I'm going to go with him. And authenticity is big like that, you know, but I'll tell you, it's it's a sad statement that that this has to be done. I, I Frankly, I was very hesitant to, to, to really go out and start making myself more public in this regard because I didn't want to be associated with that 
type of guru like mindset. And there will never come a day where I sell a course or anything like that because I just don't believe in it. And frankly, I don't have the time. But what I will say is, is yeah, there's a ton of disinformation out there. There's a ton of people saying things like, you know, Airbnb arbitrage. And I'm sure for every person that, that, that said that they have become successful in some random or obscure way, there, there's 10, 15 times more who it didn't work out for. I only tell people to do the things that I have personally done and I have seen work for other very successful people. And this is not just one or two. This is the common thread amongst billionaires' portfolios that I've looked at, multimillionaires' portfolios that I looked at. And people think that you have to have tens of thousands of dollars to get this party started. I will not lie to you and say 3% down is going to get you an investment property. That is not the mindset to have. You need to plan on having more money than that. But saving and preparing for that opportunity over a couple of years or you know, maybe even a decade, if that's what it takes you, is a better long-term strategy for you to root yourself in a fundamental way to build your wealth for not only you, for your family. You can take your real estate and you can give it to your family. I've got a two-year-old son. He means the world to me. Every single investment that I make, including this investment in my time with you, I try to do in a way that provides him the financial literacy, if he ever hears this one day, and also provides him the assets that I can pass along to him. Because as much as you loved that job that you were at, that gave you that that oak of an income, that you planted that tree for you, it wasn't a job you could give into your child. This is one of those core things from a retirement perspective that people underestimate. The cash flow is for you during your lifetime, and I hope it helps you. But those assets decades from now are for your children, for your legacy, for your family. That is so profound because really what I came to realize when I was working in corporate was that I was just building other people's dreams. I was very good at it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I was a, you know, I was a pre-sales engineer. I was director of sales and I, I, I did very well for myself. But at the same time, it's like from one day to the next, you know, here's a box. Yeah. And, you know, go take your stuff out. And I'm like, great. Now, you know, now how am I going to, how am I going to buy my Starbucks in the morning now? Mm-hmm. You know, or how am I going to, how am I going to pay that mortgage? And, you know, like the last time that that happened to me, I was like, geez, you know, this sucks. No matter how much fun I had at that corporate job, this sucks. And I really got to start you know, doing something for myself. And I think that people, because of a lack of financial literacy in such a monumental way, we don't get it in school. We don't get it in high school. We don't get it to think that we have a macro and microeconomics class in high school and in college, but nobody teaches us how to buy a home. Nobody teaches us about credit scores. Nobody teaches us about how to manage your credit. No one teaches you. I mean, the constitution in, in so many documents reference life, liberty in, in you know, in the pursuit of happiness, well, pursuit of happiness meant real estate ownership. It meant, it meant owning your land. And, and while that, that, may have changed over time in what ownership of land looks like. That is still the dream. And we tend to forget that that doesn't stop with just I own land. Back then, you know, before the industrial revolution, ownership of land was, that was the, that was the indicator that you were wealthy. Shortly after that, it became ownership in business that you became wealthy. But those business people who came from that real estate ownership background, they turned around and used that wealth from industry to buy more real estate. And we've gotten so far off course with, with what we look at and what we focus on that it's distracting to me. I remember the days where I feared that if I got fired, I didn't know what happened next. And that motivated me. I, I, I don't know how else to put it. I was always afraid that if something happened to me, just like if it happened to you, I, I wanted to be able to, to maintain my lifestyle. But that fear is healthy. What's not healthy is the people that don't buy real estate or the people that, that that are afraid to do it or afraid to talk about it because the stigma of not being educated on it, that's not your fault. That's the system's fault. And it was built against you. The only fear you should have is not educating yourself and not asking the right questions and not starting because failing is not truly failing. Not starting is failing. So insightful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Chris, can you please tell everyone a little bit more about 
about uh, how they can learn more about you at Black Crown and how they can reach you directly if they want to learn more. Yeah, I'm, I'm readily accessible. I'm all over social media. You can find me on LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter, you name it. It's all the same username. It's my first name, Chris, my last name, Nahibi, N-A-G-H-I-B-I. Feel free to reach out. Uh, I don't sell anything. I'm really just trying to provide a positive resource of information to combat an age of disinformation. Amazing stuff. Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a lot of fun. You know, we're really, uh, you know, it sounds like we're really on the same page here and I wish you the best of luck with your businesses. Yeah, man. Thank you for joining me today. Likewise. Thank you so much for listening to the One Big Tip podcast. If you're a six to eight figure entrepreneur, business coach, or speaker who would like to be on this show, we need to talk. The audience for this podcast is hungry for experts and professionals who want to share their knowledge with this world. So if you're ready to share your actionable and measurable One Big Tip, please go to onebigtip.com slash guest and let's get your story out there. I am also crazy excited to announce my new Agents of Pod coaching program. With this program, I show busy entrepreneurs the strategies that I use to have warm conversations with my dream clients, keep my calendar book solid, and consistently have potential clients at the ready, all anxiously waiting to speak with me every single week. Head on over to agentsofpod.com slash hero and let me show you how to be the superhero in your business today. Lastly, I have a huge ask for you. Could you please share this with your audience on social media? The stories and connections that I make on this podcast have helped thousands of people, sometimes in the most profound ways. And you never know if your small action today will be the one that kickstarts your friend, a family member, or even yourself into taking massive action and starting the next multi-million dollar business. It'll be your way of just paying it forward. My name is Jeff Mendelson. You can find me on all the major social channels like LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening.